Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. October is here, and the Colts are a, a bad football team in a bad division. Good Monday morning to you. Colts are 1-2-1 one, and one as they get off to another horrific start in the division. Um, in a divisional game, I guess I should be said, as I drop my wedding ring here. Um, yeah, just ugly yesterday. It made a valiant comeback attempt. Jonathan Taylor fumbles, and that's a reminder of when you get down three scores in the NFL, your margin for error is minuscule. And that was the end of that. I'm Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is across the way. Um, boy, just shocking to see that performance. I was pretty confident in the Colts coming into Sunday. Uh, it is the worst rushing effort in the Frank Reich era, and it happened against the 32nd-ranked run defense. That, I think, adds to the frustration. Obviously, a good amount of big-picture stuff to get to today. Um, but, Eddie, let's just begin overall thoughts. I, um, it, the slow starts. It's just, it's awful. Um, you know, it dates back to the end of last season. The fact that you have been down 23-3 to in Week 18 in Jacksonville, 20-3 to Week 1 against Houston, 24 to nothing. Obviously, that was the score in Jacksonville. And then 24 to 3 yesterday. It's just a recipe for disaster. Particularly, again, when these games should mean a little more. Like, at the bare minimum, they're divisional games. So they should mean something. But then you factor in what additionally should be at stake a playoff berth in week 18, and the week one drought, the week two, the issues in Jacksonville. And then yesterday. When Jim Mercer is as public as he was last week, and really, you know, privately and publicly, he stated a very aggressive stance in what he thinks about what Tennessee has done to Indianapolis. God, man, it's it's amazing to think that the Colts continue to dig themselves these holes in these divisional games. Yeah, um, I totally agree with you. And once again. Uh, a couple things first. Uh, Alex questioned last week, remember, about the tight ends? Well, I think he knew something that we didn't know. Yep, and that'll be what I, what I liked. Yeah. Not a lot, but yeah, we'll certainly hit on that. Um, but when you look at just kind of like the snap count and utilization of players, like we are talking about this before we started recording the pod, uh, Naheem Hines, only 32 uh, snaps, I think that was in there, maybe 23. Uh, yeah, first touch comes with like four minutes to go in the third quarter. Yeah, Michael Pittman Jr., zero targets um, in the second half. It was 32%, only 21 snaps for uh, Naheem. But no targets at all for your best wide receiver. I thought Pierce looked good, and I know we'll hit on that later. But, I mean, it just looked like the Colts from week one and week two and not the Colts of week three. Um, so the success they had – in week three against Kansas City did not translate over to week four against Tennessee. And you can argue the offensive line for Tennessee is worse than what Kansas City has. There's not nearly as much money tied up for Tennessee as there is Kansas City. And I feel like the Colts couldn't generate much, if in any, consistent pressure um, on Tannehill. And they couldn't set the edge either, uh, which allowed him to convert that third down um, in the final stages of the fourth quarter. And before we get into what I didn't like, what I liked, let's just start right there with what you said. You brought up the Kansas City game. And I think we left Wednesday's podcast with, was that the outlier? NFL seasons are long. There are outliers everywhere. I mean, the Colts have been a part of it on good sides and bad sides of it over the years. Uh, that's how this league is wired. Last year, Jacksonville beat Buffalo in a game. You know, it, it's not a true indicator of either of those two teams. New York beat Cincinnati. Sure. It, there are one-offs. And the question was, was last week a one-off? Did Kansas City gift you everything that you needed and you simply just aren't a good football team? And the Colts sat here and their performance yesterday indicates that if you look at this season, if you date back to last year, ever since Christmas, they have been a bad football team. Because I'm a big believer in trends. And the recent trend in four out of your last five, you've been down three scores. You've played divisional teams that I don't think are that great when you compare them to the rest of the NFL. And yet, if you add up all those quarters, the vast majority of them, you've been the worst football team on the field. Um, I haven't said that very often about the Colts in my 
you know, history covering the team. Hell, just in my lifetime, frankly. Mm-hmm. This, if you are a Colts fan under the age of 40 right now, Eddie, this is pretty rare for you. You're yeah. not playing good football, and you don't have a young quarterback on the roster that offers this glimmer of hope. You think about it. 2017 season, Andrew Luck was still here when you went 4-12. 2011, you were bad, and what waited for you at the end of the season was the generational draft pick of an, of an Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to 2001, when you were 6-10, and 10, you still had Peyton Manning. So again, if you're under the age of 40, this is really, really foreign territory. It's foreign territory for Jim Irsay as an owner. He's had a pretty good run. Yeah, He's used to having some sort of hope at quarterback. That's not there right now. So how the rest of the season unfolds, and this weird dichotomy of the AFC South is never going to be that far away. <laughs> the top of it, of course, um, is really going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, so let's get into what I didn't like from yesterday. And what did I start off with? I, I assume it's the run game. Uh, correct. Jonathan Taylor's run game and is now four career games against the Titans. Uh, 46 carries, 176 yards and a 3.8 average. Gosh, I didn't realize it was that ugly. Well, last year, if you combine the two games, it's... Uh, 26 carries for 134 yards. Of course, yesterday he had 20 attempts for 42. 20 for 42, Eddie. That's 2.1 a carry. It's one of the worst marks of his career. Um, In total, you were under two yards per carry. That is absolutely awful. And to make matters worse, it happened against the 32nd ranked run defense. I want to propose this question to you. He was on the injury report last week, I think, with a toe injury. He missed a practice. Do you Uh think that ailed him at all in the game? I want to make this very clear. I think the run game issues, the root of it, comes down to controlling the line of scrimmage and the inability to do that at a level it's necessary. Agreed. But I also sat up there in the press box and looked down and thought to myself, there are some creases at times. Out of his 20 runs, am I acting like there were creases on 12 of them? No. But there were some runs that there were some creases and it looked a little bit reminiscent of Taylor early on in that rookie year. Just not fully trusting it, maybe not fully believing. And you know, he came from a much different system at Wisconsin than what NFL systems are asked to do from a run game standpoint. And I did notice some of that yesterday from Taylor. Now, maybe some of that was physical, to your point, Eddie. Maybe some of that was you know, not totally pl- put my foot in the ground, trust the toe injury and take off. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Derrick Henry just ran a little bit more um, aggressive, for lack of a better term. Trusted it a little bit more. Um, but again, the root of it for me comes down to the you can't control the line of scrimmage against a team that entered Sunday allowing nearly six yards per carry. Um, that's awful. That's terrible. And if you're not going to be there as an offense right now, you're going to continue to be this team that can't score more than 20 points. And that's a clear issue right now. Um, we'll get into, and I guess I'll wait for Twitter questions. I think we got a lot of these in Twitter questions. But, like, I keep coming back to the Jim Mercer tweet last year during the playoffs, Eddie, of, like, in this league it's proven you need a quarterback and you need an offense that can score 30 in regulation. The Colts have played four games, one that went past regulation, and they haven't gotten over 20 this season. Mm-hmm. Um, the run game yesterday, not only your rushing performance, Taylor and company, but also the run defense. Because this is not a good Tennessee offensive line. I would argue that Derrick Henry, this game yesterday, will be one of his best of the season. I don't think this is going to be the norm for Tennessee this year. And yet, Tennessee established Henry early. They got him going. It set the tone for the entire afternoon, and you had no answer for him and over five yards per carry and again you are the top ranked run defense in the league entering yesterday so you before we get big picture we've got to focus on the game and that to me told the whole story in this matchup with how these two teams are built how these two teams believe in their starting running back it comes down to that matchup so often when these two teams meet and again Tennessee on the line of scrimmage their running back was the better one, clearly, in this game. And the Taylor fumble was huge. Um, Again, you have no margin for error at that point when you get down three scores. But if we're going to boil it down, it was an F out of the rushing offense, and I would say a D-minus out of the rushing defense. And in a game like this, you just can't have that. That, and you need some turnovers. Colts didn't force any. Good point. 
They did yeah. not force a single turnover. They didn't really. Uh, I don't I think feel like they, they didn't like sniff a turnover. No, like they didn't even have any like dropped interceptions. I right. Don't think. I, I'm going to look up right now like how many passes that they defensed. You know, I I, I don't. Twenty one, I think, was the final number for Tannehill. He was seventeen to twenty one. Oh my gosh, dude, that was a goose egg. Zero passes defensed. That's extremely hard to do in the NFL. So Tannehill had how many attempts? You said twenty one. Twenty one, yeah. Four incompletions. Colts didn't get one hand on the ball. God, that's awful. That's so bad. And that's not even like you don't. They don't even have AJ Brown. They have no. Robert Traylon Woods. Burks got hurt halfway through the game. I mean, God, that's so bad. I didn't even realize that. Um, another slow start was another part of that. What you didn't like yesterday? Again, if I'm Jim Mercer right now, I'm thinking to myself, Wait a minute. I I just publicly went on Twitter and did all that. And that's how you start. And I go back to what I said in the opener, Eddie. These four games in the division with all of this at stake, and you have been down 23-3, to 20-3, 24-nothing, 24-3. You guys know, huge believer in game flow. There's an element of, like, when you come back in these games, it almost is like, Hey, man, did you see Dwayne Washington Jr. in the fourth quarter for the Pacers last night? I, mean, <laughs> I know the Pacers lost by 20, but Dwayne had 18. There's a little element of, like, at some point, water finds a little bit of level, and it's just there's a freedom and an ease on both sides of the ball that you just kind of naturally score, naturally move the football. It's a golfer that's, you know, 15 shots back going to Sunday of a PJ Tour event, and he shoots 65. Well, where was he shooting 65 when he was on the leaderboard? Yeah. You know, when, when it really matters, when there's serious game pressure on you. Um, these starts are inexcusable. That's supposed to be the scripted part of your game plan. That's supposed to be what you've drilled all week. Um, so who do you attribute that to? It, it, Is it players for lack of execution? Is it lack of preparation? It's got to be a little bit of both. I mean, sure, some of it is on the players. You would like to see a sense of urgency in these moments. You'd like to see some high-character individuals realize the moment, realize the urgency, and how inexcusable recent performances have been and step up. But there also is an element of, what about the preparation? What about this coaching staff knowing what these guys need throughout the week? What makes them tick and what needs to be there on game days? Um, so the slow starts to me, you these are occurring against mediocre to bad football teams, and you're not putting any game pressure on them. Mm-hmm. So you, you're giving them belief. It's what Kansas City did last week to you. When Sky Moore muffed that punt, he gave them belief. He gave the Colts belief, and they needed that. Um, the Colts are doing that to these other teams. And, I mean, obviously, Danico Autry, a great player, and Quentin Nelson to start the game or on that opening drive. But when you set up that early short field, all of a sudden, Tennessee's like, hey, here we go. You know, looky here. Look what we found. And that just, to me, sets up the entire 60-minute game, and you watch it unfold from there. Um, before we get into what you liked um, on the Colts post game show yesterday, we had a we received a lot of calls um, regarding the nature of what you were talking about—a sense of urgency, a pep in their step. Um, and one or multiple callers asked about Frank Reich's lack of energy or lack of a pep in his step or a, a willingness to get into somebody. Um, and both Barry and Bill were like, "No, this is the NFL. I want you to coach me. I don't. I don't. I don't need that." But when you look at the landscape of the NFL, and you look at how some of the new hires are, you look at a Robert Sala, you look at a Dan Campbell, Sean McVay, uh, to example, for, to a bit a little bit of an extent, Nick Sirianni. Even all these guys are like show emotion all the time. I, and it just feels like whenever you watch Frank, it's it's hardly if ever there. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously this is a little bit more of a bigger picture question, Eddie, but it is something that I would like to think of the NFL level. Most, if not all, of these guys could be pretty self-motivated. Correct. But I keep on coming back to the message that you hear during the week. When does that become a bit stale? And how you handle Monday through Saturday can impact how these guys feel from a locked-in standpoint, an urgency standpoint, however you want to define it, and that's lacking. Um, have there been coaches that have Frank Wright-type demeanors that have had success in the NFL? Without question. But 
you see the reverse of it. And I would think most people, especially at the NFL level, have dealt with coaching that's been on the reverse of it. So they would probably cater to that a little bit more than Frank's mindset. Um, And I've said this a lot about, and this goes for any coach really, when you hear stick to the process, that to me is such kind of a tired phrase because from my opinion, results have to influence process. Mm Mm-hmm. If you're not getting it done, if you're down three scores in four straight divisional games, please don't spew process to me because clearly the process is not working. It's not getting the answers that are desired. Does it need a total total overhaul? Do all of a sudden you practice on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? Like, no, but stuff has to change. You have got to start doing things differently or else the definition of insanity is going to be alive and well for your football team. And right now, the slow starts are absolutely a clear issue. And if I'm Jim Mercy, I'm thinking, what? this has got to be a reflection on my coaching staff. And that would have me worried. Um, um, <laughs> jinx. What I was going to say is not much for the Colts to really, or for you to really like about this game um, other than the tight ends and Alec Pierce. So let's start with the tight ends. Yeah, I um, nice note that the Colts sent out yesterday after the game. That's the most receiving yards for a tight end group in a game this season, 180 total. Eddie, they had 11 targets and caught all 11 of them. I thought um, some scripted up nice moments in terms of getting them in space. The crossers seem to be really effective. Mo Ali Cox, 6 for 85. Kylan Granson, 4 for 62. And then Jelani Woods had the one grab for 33. So, um, very nice day for the tight end position. Um, and then Pierce, we said it all last week, the go ball needs to be in the game plan every single week. I would like to see more than one attempted just kind of the state of your offense right now. But um, you brought it to my attention before the podcast started. I didn't realize it until you said it. No targets for Michael Pittman in the second half. You have, If that's going to be the case, and Pittman's going to be bracketed like he's going to be bracketed, you have got to tap into other areas, and you need your tight ends to step up, and you need Pierce to make the plays that he's making. Really consecutive strong weeks from Pierce. It's not just the go ball. It's the other route tree stuff that it's like, okay, these are the questions that you had about him getting to that complete NFL-type wideout, and there's been a couple flashes of that. So I think you got to be highly encouraged with what Alec Pierce is showing. Um, and again, tight end-wise, you just see those guys in the open field, and you know they offer a skill set that you really, really like. It's, it's hard to bring them down. Granson, a little bit more of a speed guy, of course. Um, but you got back into this game, ironically enough, kind of with your passing offense. Mm-hmm. You kind of tap into that aspect of it, which is a bit odd. Um, so I, I did want to mention that as something that I thought was a big um, a big strength for you in the positive direction. Uh, something I like, Paris Campbell, 4 for 43, all, caught all four of his targets, got a little involved in the passing game finally. Yeah, his playing time decreased a little bit. It seemed like the tight ends they bumped up didn't really bump up Pierce too, too much. Um, but yeah, Campbell did have four for 43, like you said. Um, still would like to see him get a little bit more of kind of design touches, just if you can tap into any of that speed. Um, you know, in the offensive usage area, the Hines usage is head-scratching. And, um, you know, this is just a little bit of a – to some, this might be a nitpick. And we'll get into Matt Ryan questions, I think, in, in, in the Twitter questions, Eddie. Mm-hmm. But Matt Ryan missing Michael Pittman in those two red zone targets, the two goal-to-go targets early in the game – you cannot have that. That's why you got Matt Ryan to mm-hmm. throw with anticipation, to make the plays in the red zone, in goal-to-go situations. The timing of those plays, it looks so small. You know, it seems like, oh, man, he just missed it by a foot. You know, that would have been a touchdown in college. Those are the plays good football teams make, good offenses make. And at that point of the game, it was 14 nothing. You know, if you're able to score a touchdown there, in those goal-to-go situations, you cut it to a one-possession game. I just think psyche-wise, it just feels a little different. And you had to settle for a field goal there, and that's the stuff that you can't have. And this offense right now is missing that. The ball security issues from Ryan are one thing, but he's got to have the ability to fit those balls into those small windows. And that's the expectation of why you made the trade for him. You felt like you were upgrading for him. 
upgrading from Carson Wentz in those areas of the field, and you didn't feel it on that drive. And I just don't think you're an offense that creates enough of those opportunities to miss on those opportunities. Um, so I did want to point that out before we get to Twitter questions. Uh, one final question and note from me here. Uh, I want to just tip my hat, Zaire Franklin, 15 total tackles. I thought he played his ass off defensively. Um, he was flying over the field. And second thing uh, that we have yet to talk about, Kevin, uh, the return of Shaq Leonard. Uh, initial thoughts on how you think he did. I know Frank said he'd have to review the film, but uh, from what it was sounding like from you know Barry Krause, former linebacker, uh, Shaq didn't look too good. No, I I thought he looked like a guy that you know wasn't totally comfortable being out there at eighty or ninety percent. Um, I know he had two tackles in the first two plays of the game, but I just I didn't see the same you know Shaq Leonard that I'm used to. I guess Darius Leonard, frankly, if you go back to how high level of player he was. Um, and then just concussion-wise, I just feel absolutely awful for him because... Well, that was a horrific hit. Yeah, and, and I want to make this clear, Eddie. Obviously, you are not saying that, well, it'd be better off if that guy had a concussion versus that guy. Like That's the last thing you want to see in any NFL game. Unfortunately, it's part of playing the game of football at this level. But for everything Leonard's been through this last year... You just worry about him, man. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been through a whole lot physically, a whole lot mentally, and any sort of injury I think you pay attention to for him right now. And a concussion with everything going on in the NFL, I think you pay even more attention to it. Now, Zaire said after the game, he seemed to be in good spirits. I think he drove home, Leonard. So those are all good signs. Obviously, he's really bloody leaving the field, but you just feel terrible for him. And obviously, on a short week, him and Jonathan Taylor – uh, you know, Leonard's n- n- not going to play. I mean, he's not passing concussion protocol by Thursday. At least I don't. I don't think he can. Uh, and then Taylor, we'll see. Kind of conflicting. I know Zach Kiefer said high ankle sprain. The Colts are kind of fearing that. I think Eden Rappaport mentioned that they don't believe it's too serious, but still, a short week with a limited running back, not ideal. Uh, agreed. Twitter question number one comes from Bailey. Um, in the locker room, when asked what to say to the fans, all the players kept saying was, "We've been here before." and they'll right the ship. Uh, is that not the problem? Five of the first seven against the South, and they're acting like they can just keep turning things around. Uh, we're winless through the first half of division play, KB. Bailey, I think you're spot on. I really hope the players don't believe those words. These aren't the same starts. I don't want anyone to tell me these are the same starts as 2018 or 2021. Nope. You're losing divisional games. You're getting run out of respective buildings for large chunks of those games. Um, and last year, I guess let's just look at last year. You lost the Rams by, what, a field goal? The Ravens game, you had a huge lead in and blew that. And then that Titans game, you know, Wentz looked like me out there trying to maneuver. Yeah. So, like, you don't have those types of performances and or, I guess, injury excuse so far this season in three of those losses you had last year. I haven't felt that this year. Um, so I, I I can't go there. I'll go back to what I said earlier. It's about trends. It's about bigger than one or two game outliers or one or two quarter outliers. You know, someone said to me last week, oh, I mean, Colts have been a really good fourth quarter team this year. Uh, okay, like... Because they've been down. Yeah, that's part of it, and you know? And the prevent defense comes in, yeah. Yeah, it, it just... Yeah, I can't... I, I can't go there yet. I can't either. I mean... I can't. In comparison to those years that you mentioned, I mean, there were areas in which you could point to and be like, okay, this is the problem. Let's fix it. This seems more mental in execution than anything else, not really X's and O's. And, yeah, yeah. I I got other thoughts, but I know we got a lot of Twitter questions. Uh, this is from Eric. How many first downs throughout the game did we continue to run for zero to two yards? I'm assuming he's referring to the first play on first down. Um, the defense knew it was coming, and it seemed like we wasted first down too many times. Yeah, Thanks. One of your biggest issues yesterday, Eddie, was early down success. And by that, I mean lack of success. Yep. I mean, you were behind the chains so often, so early. And what that does is you obviously have to get more guys out on routes and now Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons can do what they did to you. So I thought you got way behind the chains um, early in those downs, did not get into third and manageable situations at all. And that, to me, was just a really glaring, glaring issue. Uh, Dustin, 320-ish yards, 
for Matt Ryan yesterday were from receivers not named Michael Pittman Jr. Which tight end should be the number one overall on the depth chart? All three have been great thus far. I, I kind of like how they're handling playing time. It, it probably is Ali Cox, Granson, and Jelani Woods in that order. You know, obviously, Ali Cox is your best blocker out of those three, so you want him out there so you aren't tipping your hand too much. He hasn't really done a ton in the receiving department until yesterday, but I, I think it's nice job by Frank Reich. Um, again, I, I thought they schemed up some good opportunities for those tight ends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Pittman, he, this is going to be the coverage, man. Like the, We saw it at the end of the Kansas City game. Tennessee did it yesterday with Kevin Byard over the top. This is going to be what Pittman has to expect and the Colts should expect week in and week out. So you're going to have to continue to rely on your tight end by committee, try and get Pittman isolated in some situations, tap into Hines more. You know, again, Pierce – um, this is where you're at right now. Big test for Pittman on Thursday. He'll face Patrick Sertan. Uh, Cameron, Old Daner, and Joe, I'll ask a similar question in regards to uh, Jim Ursay was supposedly furious about the season-ending loss to Jacksonville and losing to the Tennessee Titans. Yet here we are and no changes. Too much time with music and not enough on football, or does he even really care? Yeah, we, we obviously got a ton of Ursay big picture related questions um i know a lot of people are curious about like if or when or should i think the colts will make a move i've never been like a huge fan of the end season firing i'm just to me it's just kind of a shrug of your shoulders like instead of the scapegoat being rodrigo blankenship and danny pinter now it's the head coach which i guess it matters in that you're sending a message to your locker room um but like I, i mean like do they feel that message then the next year you know, does that like carry over? I mean, hell, this team can't even feel the message from one week to the next. <laughs> so, what what makes me think they're gonna all, all of a sudden feel an end season firing? Now, obviously, if there's a young guy on the staff you want to evaluate, then I see a little bit more with that. Bubba Ventrone would probably be the one guy on this staff that you probably would point to in that. Um, I'd probably love I, I'd love to see the history just kind of on like interim coaches that have become mainstays at their respective places it just seems super rare and obviously it's not an ideal situation um i think what jim ursay has to ask himself is this what's the standard for my franchise right now this is year six for chris ballard and year five for frank reich currently the colts are what probably 12th in the afc something like that last year they finished eighth the year before that they finished seventh The year before that, they finished 10th. So you are on a three-year cycle, now into this fourth year, of being an average to below-average team in this conference while playing in the easiest division in this conference. And you just handed them significant contract extensions before last season. So you've got to ask yourself as the owner, what is an acceptable standard in year five and year six of this regime, particularly one that you called the GM the greatest... GM higher the 21st century. Is that living up to it? I would argue no. So those are the questions that I think Jim Ursay has to ask himself. Again, on the Ursay embarrassment meter, yesterday was a major step. He went public. He didn't go public after the Jacksonville shutout on Twitter, you know, videos, anything like that. No, he didn't do that. But he went public last week about this this game with Tennessee. And the response, you're down 24-3 to in your own building. In your own building. I think that needs to be emphasized. The other stuff, that had happened away from home. Now it's happening in your own building. What's next on the embarrassment meter? You got Jacksonville at home, and you got Washington at home this month. Two home games left. I don't need to remind anybody of where those would fall in Ursay's opinion. The history of Jacksonville is well-documented. And obviously the history with the Washington quarterback. Um, I said the Washington quarterback. It's almost like he has like a dirty name, like <laughs> like their old nickname that, that that I'm not allowed to say. Carson Wentz. Um, that those are the ones I circle a little bit more. And I know a lot of people can say Jim Irsay has never fired a coach in season. Eddie, I would argue what I said earlier. The Colts have never been in this situation. Mm-hmm. They have, in Ursa's tenure as owner, which what he took over like 96 ish, right around there, they've never been with 
serious preseason expectations starting to fail to this degree and don't have the hope of some young quarterback sitting there. Mm-hmm. So this is just different. It's 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 very different. Um, so how he responds to that, I'm curious to see because I don't think he's used to this based off the type of success that his franchise has had. Uh, Stuart and Chris, both very similar questions uh, that submitted via Twitter to both Kevin Bowen and I. Uh, what happened to the counterplay that they used to run uh, with Nelson pulling to the right and JT runs for a big gain or even some cases Marlon Mack dating back to when um, Jonathan Taylor was not in Indianapolis Colts yet, just yet uh, compared to running it up the middle 20 times. It's not a good game plan. You know, we had Jeff Saturday on our show this morning, Eddie, and he mentioned that in the zone run scheme the Colts use, um, he feels like there are basically the opposing defense is doing a great job of really pinching from the edge. Um, and I think some of this can be pointed to the edge guys you lost blocking-wise, Jack Doyle being atop the list, but they're kind of pinching from the edge and it's collapsing what you want to do in the interior of the offensive line and the run lanes. And I think you see that. Um, I'll go back to what I said earlier. By no means are you controlling the line of scrimmage. And I do think there are elements that I would like to see a little bit more perimeter-based stuff. Just frankly, to get your athletes in space. You know, I know Jonathan Taylor isn't like necessarily just this like, you know, darting make you miss guy. It's just not how he's built. Not you know, like Christian McCaffrey. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. But I do think there are times where I'd like to see him get a little bit more ahead of steam, get a little bit more of an in-space. You know, Derrick Henry, if I felt like, and part of this is t- Tennessee lines him way back behind the line of scrimmage, I felt like he got downhill a lot quicker, whereas I felt like Taylor, it's just kind of choppy, 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 and he doesn't have the same sort of room to operate, if that makes sense. So I do think there are some run game issues. But, you know, I've said this all along about running back, and I think a lot of this goes to you know, big men in basketball, for a big man to truly be effective, you need guards to get him the ball. Like, someone's got to get you the ball. So opposing teams can take away a lot of that. They can obviously defend the ball really aggressively and not let those entries to occur. They can front the big man. They can double the big man when he gets the ball in the post. And the same, I think, can be said for running backs in football. Like, mm-hmm. You can just crowd the box. You can just load it up and say, yeah, you know, we'll just play man outside, but we're going to take away the run. If you really want to be committed to it, you can try and do that. Um, I think it was worrisome yesterday. Is it? It's not like there was just some, you know, loaded boxes all afternoon. You struggled against some lighter boxes as well. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, per next-gen stats, spends about – 2.8 seconds behind the line of scrimmage, which is about in the middle of the pack um, in terms of running backs on their average time spent behind the line of scrimmage. Too much investment in your O-line for for him to be there. This, one, much. this question comes from David. Hey, Kevin, at this point, I think the Colts should practice fumble recoveries on offense instead of defense. <laughs> what is wrong with the offense? Almost everything is designed uh, deep and needs time to develop, which this O-line cannot provide. Taylor can't get any form of holes to run through. You bring in another veteran who can make pre-snap reads, encouraging the quick rhythm offense on quick slants and et cetera uh, to keep drives alive with slow and methodical movement. But then you just botch it by calling posts or fade routes. Why aren't we running an offense similar to 2020? feel like we'd had more chances of success since we clearly can't run this current offense. You go back to 2020, I would argue that you had better offensive line protection. Um, I'd also argue that your quarterback was a little bit more cognizant of holding on to the football. I mean, I know Ryan's getting hit at a high rate, but again, I'm not absolving him from that. He's bringing some of those hits upon himself, and he's just got to hold on to the football. One of my buddies texted me this morning and was like, at least Jacoby held on to it when he was getting hit. Yeah, you, you just you cannot cough up the football like he's doing. Um, I think the root of the offensive issue just lies up front, and you know there are elements I think at every position group you can point to. I still think you lack really dynamic playmakers at the pass catching spots to naturally get open or win one on one. I do think that's part of it. Um, just flat out offensively though, Eddie, I, I watch the Colts and I just think I, I watch the Colts offense and I think. Dude, they look old. 
Yeah. Like, you compare them to other NFL teams. Oh, yeah. They just, they look old, they're built old, and they play old. I mean, last year we saw some unique and some creative play calls and designs from Frank, and I feel like we haven't really seen that much motion that you see across the NFL in in comparison to previous years. I would agree. I mean, I know certainly I've mentioned on this podcast before, if you look at the points-per-game standpoint, the Colts have been you know, a pretty good team, very good team, under Reich with the amount of – the amount of quarterback turnover that you've had, but I, I there's no defending that. The Heinz usage would throw in there as well. And I mean, think about it, man. You've scored 20 points or less in every game this season. Last year, mm. with Carson Wentz, you scored 20 points or less four times the entire year. Entire year. <laughs> One of those was the game when he was clearly hobbled. Uh, obviously, you had the poor end of the season where you had two of those other games. But think about that, man. 20 points or less in each of the first four games. And I don't think anyone for a second looks at Houston, Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Kansas City and thinks 85 Bears up and down the field. Yeah, yeah. That adds to it. Yeah. Uh, Cole, at this point, at what point does Jim Irsay become responsible for this team underachieving? He calls the shots. He's uh, the all-knowing football genius, and here we are. Last week's win against Kansas City was great, uh, but doesn't mean much if you can't beat the Titans. We're talking about the guy who extended Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano and our current regime. P.S. I don't know uh, necessarily that Carson Wentz was the answer, but he was a Def, uh, he was definitely a scapegoat. Jim Irsay did not like the fact that he was unvaccinated, and that seems like too personal of an issue to me. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of validity to what Cole said right there. Um, let's start with how you – Naeem Hines had the quote after the game yesterday. You know, honestly, I think it's been the offense. The defense has done its job. I mean, I I, I would agree with that. Um I go back to that Ursay tweet from last year, Eddie, last January. You know, you can see clear as day the final eight NFL playoff teams. You need a QB and an you know, offense that can score 30 or more in regulation. Like, he said it himself then. And yet, here you have the output of less than 20 points in each of the last four games. I mentioned earlier the slow starts. If I'm Frank Reich, I'm sitting here and thinking to myself, what does that say about our coaching staff? That would be my question right now with Frank Reich. What does that say about my coaching staff, and what does 20 points or less in each of these first four games say about my offensive-minded head coach? Those would be my issues right now, Frank Reich-related. But then I would go to Chris Bowden and think, wait a minute. You have... A blueprint that is probably the contrarian in today's NFL. And you can disagree with the blueprint, but let's put that to the side for a second. And let's just focus on what Chris Bauer believes in. Okay? He believes in trenches, run, stop the run. I'm simpling it down, but that's mm-hmm. you know, that's where he believes in. He wants that to be the backbone. Right now, you've got no backbone. You got whipped in that area on Sunday, and more often than not this year, the number one highest-paid offensive line has not sniffed, coming close to the return on investment. The number three highest-paid defensive line has not either. That's where, if I'm Ursay, I'm thinking to myself, man, again, not even thinking about the blueprint. Now, yeah. if I were the owner, I'd probably be thinking, and I asked Ballard this question last January. I can picture myself in the in- indoor facility saying to him, you know, have you thought about altering, changing your blueprint, your roster building approach? I have that question. But mm-hmm. again, let's say Ursa doesn't have that question. You would sit there and still think to yourself, whoa, wait a minute. What you believe in what you've highly invested in, what you've committed gobs and gobs of, of resources to, that's not even coming close to working right now. Those would be major red flags for me, GM-related and head coach-related with where you're at right now. Um, and Danny, back to last year, Kev, uh, six straight games of 20 or less. 
God, is it really? Yep. Vegas, they only scored 20. Jacksonville, 11. And then if you want to go to the week before that to Arizona, now a little bit of a fluky game because of Mm -hmm. COVID-related issues, they scored 22. Boy, I I will look it up after the pod, but I'm willing to bet the franchise has had, I don't know, maybe that 2017 or 2011 season. I'm going to guess it's been a while since they've had that run of offensive ineptness. Um, And not only is your offense struggling right now, Eddie, and this goes back to the Matt Ryan ball security. You're putting your defense in some horrific situations. Horrific. You can't do that. Um, looking up Colt scoring by year. Uh, but we'll get to the next Twitter question while I look that one up. Uh, from Andy, I followed Frank Reich's advice and drafted Naheem Mines in fantasy this year. I'm sorry, Andy. Um, Gosh, man. I... <laughs> <laughs> Frank's comments aside, it did seem plausible we would see an uptick in his usage this year with Matt Ryan at quarterback. Anything from Frank on why he's just not getting touches? Not only is he one of our more proven playmakers, he's getting paid a lot of money to not be involved. A short week and Jonathan Taylor's injury may force that to change this week, but it just seems weird that's what it will take uh, to keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you, Andy. I um, I wish I had a clear answer on Hines. Um, you know, four minutes to go in the third quarter. I, you know, as far as the short week, is it Philip Lindsay time? <laughs> you know, Philip Lindsay revenge game if Jonathan Taylor is banged up in this one. Um, yeah, I, I I don't I don't get it. You know, I think Hines is a guy that. I've said this a lot about him, a high percentage touch with the ability to make a big play. And I just don't feel like you've even really tried to put that threat on the field. And I think the byproduct of having him out there is a little bit more of like, hey, now you're putting a threat into the defense. You know, there was a play yesterday. I guess it was a play that Tennessee iced the game on where they lined up Henry at fullback. They faked it to Henry at Mm -hmm. fullback. Tannehill, little boot action. So you get an athletic quarterback on the move. And then he threw it to the guy's name I can't pronounce in the flat. Conquo. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> to ice the game, and I'm mean, beautiful by Todd Downey. Beautiful, and that's with one real playmaker. You know, I mean, Henry is, is it for them. Robert Woods, I guess, a little bit, but um, I thought that was beautiful. So, um, you know, I asked Frank last week a little bit about Campbell. I, you know, I guess I could ask him directly about Hines, but you know, Eddie, you were asking me like. Do I do I think Heinz is in the doghouse? And I laughed when you asked me. Yep. And I laughed because, oh my gosh, that question sounds so laughable to me. But there is, you would have evidence to ask that question. You have evidence to ask that question. So I shouldn't be laughing at it. But I'm laughing because the other alternative is crying. <laughs> and like that's where we're at with the guy. And I'm not one that like puts a. Yes, you are paying him a good amount of money as well. I, th- that plays into it. It's not the end-all, be-all, but that plays into it. Taylor has 81 carries. Matt Ryan has nine. And then Hines has eight. And it's just not the care. It, 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 yes, attempts. That is something. But, like, it's not like he's been that heavily involved in the receiving game either. 17 receptions on 19 targets. <sighs> And I'm pulling up his game log real quick. And I wish, I, I mean, for those of you that were at Grand Park, you saw this on a daily basis, unique ways for him to touch the football. He had five-plus targets in each of the first three games. Six week one and week three, five week two. And we just have not seen that. He had three opportunities um, yesterday, two targets, two catches, and the one uh, rush attempt. This one comes from Daniel. I'm sure you may... Uh, hear this, but to me, this version of Matt Ryan isn't better than last year's Carson Wentz. Do you think a second year of experience under Reich's system would have made Wentz the better version of Matt Ryan that we see now? I can see Matt Ryan's main problem is the offensive line, which he can't uh, buy any time, and at least Wentz could do that. Seemed like Reich's offense needs a more mobile quarterback. I see us drafting a quarterback regardless of what happens the rest of the year. Well, let's start here. I I could not – I don't think – I don't know if there's a thought that I have on the Colts versus what they have internally that differs more than their opinion on quarterback. And really, it probably dates back to Chris Boward's first press conference, and it's not about one guy. Um I think what we've seen through four games is this. You need so much around Ryan solid or you're going to get exposed. 
You need to really be good around them, really be firm ground, foundation, Indiana limestone, baby. You need that around them or else things are going to get exposed and the ball security is such an issue. I wrote it yesterday, and this is not me saying that Matt Ryan is the worst quarterback in the NFL by any means because I don't believe that. But I have seen nothing in the first four games that makes me think you should run it back with Matt Ryan in 2023. Now, part of that comes from the standard I have of going Band-Aid. When you go Band-Aid, you've raised the bar. When you go short-term, what what Tampa Bay said to their fan base, what the Rams said to their fan base is, when we're going to go here, that means you hold us to a higher standard because when you make that move, you stunt potential growth for a young quarterback. Mm Because obviously Tampa's doing that. The Jets are doing something else. The Jags are doing something else. But, you know, you can... The the Colts went three and thirteen in Peyton's first year. You know you can live with some of those growing pains when it's a young QB trying to grow and develop. The Pacers are going to have one of those seasons this year, Um, but when you are bad, right now, in my opinion, the Colts are a bad football team in a bad division. Yep, it's October third, but that's where they are a bad football team in a bad division. If you're going to be bad or mediocre. I'd much rather be bad or mediocre with 22-year-old under center than 37-year-old under center. So I think that's what adds to it right now. But uh, to the mobile point of Daniel's question, it doesn't seem like the mobile trait is maybe as desired as it is in some other teams. To be fair, we haven't really seen the Colts totally commit to a young quarterback, of course, so Mm -hmm. we don't know that. But in just my brief conversations, that seems to be something that I've noticed. Uh, this is from Conroy. With the talent on this team, what is the issue? Communication is getting to be tired. Excuse because we are in week four, and these are all professional athletes. Is the coaching or not as talented as we thought? Is it coaching or are we not as talented as we thought? You know, I, I do want to say the highest paid guys, there's a lot of them not getting it done. A lot of them. So I don't want to act like there is an element, and this gets back to kind of the Frank Wright question you asked me earlier Eddie about you know his persona his demeanor I do think there's an element of like this is professional football you should show up and have some self-motivation yeah and you should but I know that's not necessarily going to be there for all 53 guys and and you know at the same time your coaches do get paid uh big time money I mean and I'm watching a Tennessee team yesterday Eddie I believe they started three defensive players who they've signed in the last month they're without their top pass rusher, and they totally stymie Jonathan Taylor in the worst rushing performance of the Frank or uh, yeah of the Frank Reich era. One thing on the money front, I, good for Danico Autry. You know, yeah. I mean, can you imagine? You're sitting there. You do everything the Colts asked of you in your three years here. Uh, you were durable. You were versatile. You were productive. You, you were, were available. Available at a position that the Colts have struggled with availability at. You were one of the very rare, constant, consistent performers all three years he was here. And you get the free agency, and it becomes a little bit of a bidding war between you and the division rival. And the team that signed you originally does not sweeten the pot. And this is one of those Ballard moves that falls into head scratching. This is kind of like left tackle for me. Again, yes, I understand wideout, but you know Ballard. I understand wideout because I know Ballard doesn't believe in it. Defensive line, though, that's a huge core Ballard belief. Versatile, available, productive, and I think I think Ballard has even mentioned this. And if he hasn't. I apologize, but I think this is kind of widely known in the NFL. I think interior defensive linemen have proven in this league, late 20s and around 30 is not some like, oh my God, father time, they're going to fall off a cliff. Guys still play into their prime, late 20s into 30s. And so Autry hit that free agency deal, former undrafted free agent. Just He is a, he's got some dog in him mm-hmm. that I think is lacking. And I just, him walking, oh man. I, I did not understand that one at all. I continue not to understand it. And what he did to Quentin Nelson and what he did throughout that game, he started the game and made a statement. He ended the game and made a statement. I mean, was he the best player on the football field yesterday? You could argue that. I just, uh, that one, I, I 
he's probably and this list is not very long, Eddie, of guys that like the Colts have let walk, and I've been thinking to myself, what? That list isn't overly long in the Ballard era. Yeah, you know, for the most part, he's re-signed his own, and I and I've agreed with a lot of that, but that one. Hmm. Uh, Scotty wants the fire and brimstone rain down on the coaching staff. Uh, most likely, it will be a sun shower on a picnic. What is going to take to fix these obvious coaching issues and Jim Ursay to wake up from his sleepy daydream with his Beatles drum set? <laughs> That's pretty aggressive there. Yeah, it was, Scotty. Scotty, before I get to that, Eddie, I believe I've got our stat that uh, I was going to look up after the show. But you know what? I was going to tr- test out the internet and see how we're doing here, okay? Oh, you got it up and running over there? Six straight games of 20 points or less, all right? In 2017, they went seven straight games, so that would have been with Jacoby. Outside of that, the last time they've had a streak of longer than six games, 93? Yeah, 93. Speaking of Jim Irsay, he just tweeted. I saw that. Many thanks to our great fans at yesterday's game. Red Heart football emoji. Did Drake the dog take his phone and tweet that? Come on. That's not what I want. I'm a little fire. Fire and brimstone. How about that, Eddie? Brimstone, yeah. I mentioned this earlier. This is foreign time for the franchise. That stat is foreign. Six straight games, 20 points or less. 2017 season, you had seven straight games. Outside of that, the only time in this franchise's history that you've gone longer, I should say the most recent time you've gone longer because they didn't score points in the 70s, 1993. How'd you find that? I... Football reference? Yeah, I, get, I know some people. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I will. I'll, I'll explain to you off air. Okay. Um, Ninety-three. I mean, Jim Irsay wasn't the. You know, at that point, Robert Irsay was still alive. Yeah. Ninety-three. I mean, if you wow. if you are in the age group again of forty or younger, you're not used to that. I'm not used to this. Me either. I just turned thirty-three. You're a lot younger than, than I am. You're certainly not used to that. But think about that. Yeah, you go out there Thursday night. Against a Denver team that is playing good on defense, definitely not good on offense, but you score 20 or less, you will tie the longest streak of 20 or less since 1993. Wow. For an offensive-minded head coach. In a league where offense is such a... Has only risen to, we cater to you. Offense, we cater to you. Here are the flags. Here are the opportunities to score points. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yep, yep, yep. Josh asks... Is it possible Frank is a great play designer and a bad play caller? Every once in a while, something he draws up works amazing, and it makes him look so smart. But then I feel like there are also so many times where my Twitter feed blows up with, what was that call, tweets. And then I guess, is it is he, he just has a good offensive coordinator mind uh, and nothing more? Or does that seem that he's, or does it seem that he's maxed out his ability as an offensive coordinator, if so, bad news for us, I suppose. Yeah, and again, you know, I, I know I said it a few weeks ago that, and there is evidence that you know the point totals that he's had with Luck to uh, Luck to Brissett to Rivers to Wentz, pretty darn good. Um, but this year, it's not that your offense has regressed, and he's the play caller. He's the one that oversees it. Um, I don't think it's to the point where it's like Frank Reich is the worst offensive play caller coach in the world, but certainly you would not slot him in the, you know, guru type of category. I, I don't think I've used that term for for him, but uh, if I have, clearly I was wrong on that front there. Um, who asked that again? Uh, that was from Josh. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned what, what what the Titans did on that third down. Again, those are just some plays that, God, what a huge play to ice that game there. And unique. I was curious. What are they going to do here? Yeah. Kind of a long down and distance. Do they give it to Henry? Hell, do they go for it on fourth down, <laughs> try and win the game? Yeah. That fit Mike Vrabel. Right. It, it would certainly fit Vrabel. Um, and I guess with Reich right now, you know, part of it is offense. As I mentioned, Ursay, if I'm Ursay right now, I've got questions for my GM. I've got questions for my head coach. The head coach questions would be the offensive and then – I went public on Twitter on Thursday. I was tweeting like nonstop. And you come out and you're down 24 to 3 at home. Some boo birds 
in that building to mm-hmm. deserve it. Bluebirds. These last four games would be getting my attention big time. Uh, did you walk down to the concession stands at all? Did <laughs> I did not to get some Grover wings. Yeah, I did not. No. Did you? I uh, no. I'm I'm fortunate. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that they, uh, they keep those up. I did think oh, one thing. Note on Grover, Buckner played like 13 snaps. I mean, he was on a huge pitch count. Yeah, 19 for 35 percent. Was it 19? Yeah, that's yeah. A, that is a small, small amount for him. Grover made some plays, but there are also some moments where you know they could double team him and kind of take him out and yeah. let Henry get get downhill. That could have been why the run game was so effective for Tennessee as well, with Buckner so limited and the Tennessee able to double team. Right. Uh, Grover. Remember defensive line depth, in particular defensive tackle depth, was a question. I think you felt that yesterday. Uh, this is from Jason. We've only had a couple few. Uh, we've only had a few of these Thursday night football games, but there seems to be fewer commercials and TV timeouts, resulting in a slightly accelerated pace. Is it possible for an up-tempo practice for the next few days before an opportunity for the Colts to gain an advantage over the Broncos, or at least try to negate the high-altitude effects? Now, I want to point out the commercial aspect of this uh, that is incorrect. There's actually one more commercial um, in a nationally televised game than there is. Really? Yes, there's one extra commercial. Well, you would know that with your production work, so thank you for sharing that. And I do believe someone was saying to me that it's going to be on Channel 6 locally. So if you don't have Amazon Prime and you're in the local market, the ABC affiliate here in town. Oh, so it'll be ABC, not Fox? I, I, I think so. I, I I don't know that for sure, but um, I do believe that is the case. Um Jason, they're not going to practice this week. It's just all walkthrough. I and I mean to be fair, I don't know if any NFL team practices anymore in between a Sunday and Thursday night game. Yeah, I mean I hear what you're saying, but I don't know. I I don't. You know, part of me thinks you need an offensive jolt. You should tap into it. The other part is like, well, you str- I don't know. You struggled in the heat down in Jacksonville. Is the altitude going to be the same issue for you? I know it's different, but. Is that the same? So, uh, Colt. These Maniac. are the two least scoring teams in the NFL, right? Uh, Thirty-one to thirty-two. Got to be somewhere close, right? I mean, the the Bears have to be there, right? Yeah, I thought I thought these were the two worst, but I would have to look that up. Um, what do we got? A few more? Yes, Colt Maniac. If we lose Thursday night, what do you think happens first, if at all? The Colts have a coaching fire, or the team gets a. Uh, gets different quarterback play. Thanks and always, and enjoy the pod. Go Colts. Sad face. Yeah, thank you, Colt Maniac, for that. Um, yeah, the Colts are the worst scoring team in the NFL. Denver is fourth to worst. That's terrible when you consider Chicago the Bears. Is, yeah, uh, at sixteen, Chicago's thirtieth. Sixteen points per game. Okay, what happens? Um, you know, part of me thinks this: a ten-day break can lead to some stuff. You know, when you have the mini bye week, you yeah. know, the, the, the 10-day break offers you some time to do some things. Um, I still have pointed out kind of the level of embarrassment. You know, I think there are other things and other dates to circle in October. I would still be somewhat surprised. Let's say the Colts lose by 7 to 10 points on Thursday night. I would be somewhat surprised if Jim Mercer canned the head coach. Yeah. I would be. Now, does it depend on the the style of the loss? Yeah, I mean, if you get, you know, you lose by thirty or something, I, you know, that probably changes a little bit. But um, I would be surprised if that happened. Now, you know, who's next on the scapegoat list? You've gone from Hot Rod to Danny Pinter. Who's next? Is it position coach? Is it Chris Strasser on the O line? I mean. I, I, you're I running out of people. I don't think you're benching Matt Ryan. I don't think you're there. I know some people have called for Ellinger. I don't I don't believe that you're there. Um, nor do I necessarily think that you should be, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, Colt Mania. Uh this is from MW. Hi, Kevin. Longtime listener from Saudi Arabia. Wow. Wait. <laughs> We've reached a lot of corners of the world. Thank you. Uh, yeah. MW for that. Uh, hope you and the family are doing well in Indy. Three weeks in, would you rather have Gilmore and Yannick, Stefan Gilmore, Yannick and Gakwe, or Rocky Asin and Chandler Jones? Also, you keep talking tiebreakers. That most likely won't matter since we have a tie on the record. 
Well, yeah, yes, that is fair. Um, I guess I mean a little bit more in the head-to-head category. Last or Yesterday was another shot at that from a head-to-head standpoint with Tennessee and Jacksonville. Um, Chandler Jones, no sacks this season through four games. He's got four quarterback hits. That's a kind of a quiet start. That's a very quiet start for mm-hmm. Chandler Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd have to look a little bit closer at, at the Raiders' operation. I mean, I guess Rock is a little bit younger uh, contractually. You know, Gilmore has got one more year left, and Yannick would head to a contract year after the season. So, I don't I don't know. I, I, I'll be totally honest. I haven't put a ton of stock into that. I'd have to look a little bit more at the Raiders and where they're at. I'm probably a little bit more like dynamic pass rusher over corner. So maybe I'd go Chandler Jones. But I also sit here and think if Yannick Ngakwe, and we're a long ways away from this happening, but if Yannick Ngakwe can re-sign here and continue to be the baseball card that he's been, which the back of his baseball card says 16 games, nine sacks virtually every season, Mm -hmm. if you could get him for that for the next four or five years, then I would happily choose the first. Garrett and Dara close out the show here. I hope I eat my words after the Tennessee game, but are there more than a handful of players playing to their expectations or exceeding thus far? Been following the Colts closely for about 15 years, and this is the largest I felt a gap between my expectations for the team and the reality. Read that final sentence. Been following for the Colts closely to for about 15 years, and this is the largest I felt a gap between my expectations for the team and the reality. That statement right there, I think, is what Jim Mercer's got to come back to in evaluating things. You know, the bar was high, and the play has not sniffed that. That gap, you know, the question says 15 years, I mean, you could argue it's been even longer since the franchise has missed the bar by this much. And it's early, and again, it's October 3rd, and, you know, try to react based off what happens the previous game and also look at the big picture and find that balance there. Um, as far as individuals, I mean, Ryan Kelly, Kenny Moore the second. I know he's been banged up. I like a little bit more out of DeForest Buckner. Who else? I mean, I know he's not getting paid handsomely, but it's such a great opportunity for Paris Campbell. You, you'd probably like to see a little bit more out of him. Hines, I don't know how much of it is. Ryan Kelly. Within his control. Yeah, Kelly, I said that. Um, you know, Braden Smith at times has fallen into that group. I thought Braden had a better day yesterday. But. A couple quick hitters for me here as we close out the pod. Yeah. Uh, I know we talked about this in the preseason uh, leading up. Uh, after roster cuts when Sam Ellinger made the roster you mentioned and highlighted this upcoming game for Thursday Night Football coming off a short week against a a divisional opponent is there any chance that Sam Ellinger we could see finally suit up on Thursday Um, even now considering that Jonathan Taylor may not be a full 100% and maybe you can get some read option in there with him and Hines yeah I mean you did that last year on Thursday Night Football so I I think it's relevant to bring up again Eddie Um, I haven't given it a ton of thought in the immediate aftermath of yesterday um but th- that that'll be something to keep you know thursday night football weird stuff happens now granted you look at this year you've had i believe the home team has won all the thursday night games i'm talking about the short week thursday night games not the season correct opener. um i think the last two weeks the home team's won by 12 points in each of those games so um i sure. am always interested to see what wrinkles if any teams do you would think that there would be some ellinger package in there but, you know, you also have to factor this in, Eddie. Do we see a little bit longer injury report this week? You know, let's say Blackman doesn't go. Let's say Leonard doesn't go. Let's say Taylor doesn't go. What nicks and bruises? You know, we're going to hear from Frank Reich here in about a half hour. What nicks and bruises from Frank um, developed in the game yesterday that maybe weren't r- reported during the game? You know, you always have that. You know, do all of a sudden you've got four or five guys out on the injury report, which kind of is typical for a Thursday night game. Does that impact maybe your availability for Ellinger? Now, last year, you still were able to insert him, but I think that is something that I am watching for. A couple of notes for Denver real quick as we close this out. Uh, 
Javante Williams goes down with a significant right right knee injury from what uh, Denver believes, so that's a big blow to their offense. He was their lead back. That's and a then, huge blow. And then on, on the defensive side, Randy Gregory also went down with a knee Saw injury. That. Both of them are expecting to get MRIs today, a.k.a. Monday. Yeah, so that is something to keep an eye on. It's supposed to be a really nice night, it sounds like, Thursday night in Denver. So it's early in the year, but you're always kind of curious what the weather will look like. For that one, um, next podcast is going to come Friday morning. We'll try and keep that similar time. Uh, several of you have sent in other questions that we just didn't have time to get to today and or it's a little bit more big picture. So I feel like during the mini buy, you kind of have – like next week's podcast will certainly be some Jacksonville focus leading into what will be just a mass – is it Jacksonville or is it Tennessee? Jacksonville. Um, yeah, Jacksonville first, then Tennessee. Um, which will be just a monumental game, um, no matter what happens tomorrow night. So we'll we'll get into some of that as the Colts play their second Jags matchup, have their second Jags matchup of the year. Uh, anything else, Eddie? I don't think so. You got anything? No, I thought you were going to compliment me on my fantasy performance from this week. Oh, I didn't check. How'd you do? I think this is one of the – it's probably never happened in the history of my fantasy football experience, which I know everyone at the end of the podcast wants to hear about Kevin Bowen's fantasy teams. I I think if Debo Samuel just, like, acts like Debo tonight, I think I might win all four of my fantasy matchups this week. Ooh, let's take a look here. Is four too many leagues? No. I think that's the right amount. I'm in six. God, you got issues. <laughs> uh, you got 132, so right now it's you and me competing for the highest uh, scoring of the uh, – the week. I can't get rid of you, can I? I got 153.8. You got 132.2, and you have uh, Stafford going tonight. Oh, so I, I still got a chance to get tack on more, don't I? Yes, sir. All right, he's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you Friday to recap Colts and Broncos. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.